You are listening to Staff Meal, the world's first podcast about staff meals. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of Staff Meal Podcast. My guest today is Frieda Getke. Frieda works with the Berlin-based association called Die Gemeinschaft. Die Gemeinschaft is a network that aims to connect small producers, chefs, and people who work in the gastronomy industry. Um, it was founded by the people behind the two Berlin restaurants, Harvard and Nobelhardt and Schmutzig. This is also the first episode where I talk about food in a more broader sense than before. I realized that staff meals are a great topic, but they usually also work as a springboard for topics that are related to, let's say, the politics of gastronomy and the politics of food. And I think Frida is someone um, who has a lot to, to tell about these topics. She studied at the Slowford University in Italy. Um, she worked in service. She is associated with um, Nobelhardt and Schmutzig, one of Berlin's, like let's say, leading restaurants when it comes to uh, working with local produce and trying to set the tone for the future of food. So she has quite an interesting background. And so that was no surprise that also our conversation tackled a lot of very fun issues. So of course, we talk a little bit about politics, um, but we also talk about the fun of hosting private dinner parties, about the momentum um, at Berlin's food scene, and also about like the necessary change when it comes to educating staff for the gastronomy industry, um, and how to also deal with people in a more sustainable and responsible way. Because right now, the focus when we talk about sustainability, um, it's usually focused on produce and farmers. But in the end, you also like have to deal with your staff in a responsible and, and a sustainable way. So that was a very exciting conversation for me. I'm happy to share it with you. Um, please follow Staffing Podcast on Instagram. It's, um, yeah, Staffing Podcast, very easy to find. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Frida Getke. You are listening to Staff Meal, the world's first podcast about staff meals. You work a lot with issues related to gastronomy and the food industry. Um, how did you end up working with food-related topics? It was a long way. That took a while. Um, I always was... Yeah, passionate about food in general. I don't know where it comes from. My parents have nothing to do with it. Um, or my family, like my whole family doesn't have anything to do. Um, like my mom works in insurance, right? So like there was no touching point. Um, but then I grew up with like a, um, my mom was always working. So I, um, after school, I went to like a, like a daycare um, and they had a farm. And there I really, it was the first time when I got in touch with farming and really produce um so that kind of i think that was like the starting point where i really got attached to those topics um and then i did my normal school i graduated um and my parents were like yeah you need to do something like that's real so do economics and i didn't know what to do because very early it became clear to me that like the whole becoming a chef um Career is not for me, um, and so there wasn't really an alternative. Um, 
And so I just was like, okay, I'm going to start with economics. I'll see where this brings me and you can do a lot with it. And I guess that happens to a lot of people in Germany or generally a lot of young people. Um, I hated it. After one year, I stopped and I started to work in service for a whole year and did nothing else. So I worked at two restaurants. I went at 10 in the morning to do the lunch service and then um, I was off at like five and went at seven to the next uh, service and I had the time of my life. Like I loved it. Um, and then I realized, okay, I really, I really want to go down that path and not have it just as a hobby, but really make it my profession. And I, I used that year to really research on what can you do with food if you're not a chef. And I stumbled upon all of those things that you can do in, in Germany when you, when you want to actually study it at the university, which is very, very limited. So you can do um, chemistry, like food chemistry, you can do nutrition, or you can go to a private school and do like hotel management and all of that was just like not for me. And so I looked a little bit um, outside of Germany because I anyways was fond of going abroad and uh, found this university in Italy that just has like an interdisciplinary um, and very holistic program for food studies, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, fuck yeah, this is 150% of what I want to do. Because I was always also interested in like different topics, so I never wanted to do just one thing. And that's also how I worked. Like I love doing a lot of different mm -hmm. things. Um, and so I applied for it and I got a scholarship and I went there and did my, did my whole bachelor's um, for three years in food studies. So we studied physics and chemistry of food, but also history, um, you know, natural sciences and social sciences, but all regarding food issues. Um, Where was the university? Um, it was in the north of Italy in New Turin, mm -hmm. a very small town. Um, and so that was the second thing that was really great about it because everyone who goes there, that's, there's just food studies, there's a few masters as well, but all also for food, and everyone else you met there were just amazing people that I personally think I learned more from than actually at the university, because hmm. most of them also already had a career, or like had very, or came from like a food background, and I learned a lot from all the other people. Hmm. Um, and we did some study trips during the program as well, where you really go to farms, talk to the farmers, talk to the food producers, go to really small-scale uh, artisanal cheesemakers, farmers, uh, startups, and, and learn about their stories, basically. So everything you learn before, in theory, you can apply. Yeah, sounds like a dream scenario. Yeah, it, it really is. It, I, yeah, it, it was a great time. That, um, you mentioned that um, after you stopped studying um, economy stuff, uh, you worked at service for a year and you immediately loved it. Can you describe the things that you loved in service and in gastronomy or probably still love? Um, I think my personality is probably... Like, I love to be in touch with people. It gives me a lot. Um, I love to communicate a lot. And I also do love to serve people. Like, I like to, you know, pamper people. I like to um, make them feel good. And food is just the very best way to do that, to spoil people. Um, and you, you also get an immediate reaction, like mm. people eat your food and you can see directly if they lighten up, if they hate it, if they're curious about it, if they're surprised, like you get so much from that. Um, 
And so that's, I think, the, yeah, that's the thing that I like. And for me, it was always about meeting new people, um, you know, also having fun with them is a big part. And I mean, if people go out to eat, it's mostly their free time and they mostly really want to have fun. So often it's really easy also to connect or make them feel good because they, that's what they expect or that's what they come for. And yeah, that's really fun for me. Um, so there is a lot of feel-good involved for the people who are able to sit down at the table. Um, but there is also, let's say, the back office. Um, yeah. People in the kitchen, people in service, uh, managers and owners of gastronomy. And that's usually not always happy and shiny. There are like producers right. involved. Um, maybe we use this as a bridge to talk a little bit about the Gemeinschaft. Uh, I want to go back to some other topics that you just mentioned, but yeah. I think like to understand what you're working on, it's important that you maybe can explain what the Gemeinschaft is. Right. Um, so the Gemeinschaft is an association that was founded by the restaurants Nullheim Schmutzig and Horvath here in Berlin um, with the goal to connect restaurants and chefs with farmers and food producers. So that was like the, the initial idea of it. Um, and that was founded in 2017 and it kind of grew um, a little bit from just this idea, okay, let's share our resources, let's share um, we as restaurants who are already very pr product focused, let's share all these ideas and all these um, great producers also outside of Berlin. Um, And let's build a platform and a network for it. Because, of course, also if you build a platform and more people that buy those produce, you get more into the city. So in the end, it's also easier for you to have good produce, right? So it was kind of also a search for quality and for better produce. Um, and Micha, together with Ivo from, from Markthalle 9, um, this like delivery service um, in, in Berlin, um, they organized the first symposium because we said, okay, what, what can we do to build this platform and, and what's the format that we're, what, what is it that we're actually going to do? Um, and so they organized this meetup for everyone to just come together in 2018 and um, basically just activated their like closest network. And in the end, it was like almost 100 people that came to a farm outside of Berlin, mm. took two hours of drive to just introduce themselves and actually just connect in the first place. And then that was very successful. Um, so we decided to do it again because now at, with all this feedback of that it's really needed, it, we also got some feedback that we really need to talk about things. Like we really mm. need to talk about subjects that, every, that are so relevant and that everyone is anyways talking about. But we need a space where we can discuss this and where we take the time because Farmers and restaurants and chefs never have the time. So mm. the idea is really to take this one day um, and meet up and discuss relevant things, get to know each other, maybe even create business relationships, but also get ideas from outside um, where things maybe are already successful um, mm. and get inspired by those people mm. and that already do great things. And with that, we really want to foster and like put forward the food culture in Berlin and in Germany because that's really what we lost in the last years. Um, and so when we talk about food culture, we really talk about quality, collaboration, um, yeah, and just having really a community that 
puts together mm. the things that are important for them. Mm. You mentioned that um, food culture in Germany, or probably not only in Germany, lost certain aspects in recent decades, or let's say probably after World War II. Um, what are those topics? Why is it necessary that, like, again, farmers and producers engage with restaurateurs? That sounds like so obvious, but apparently our society lost it. Yeah. What's the reason for that? So I think we really lost as a... We really lost this like um, valuing craft and valuing food in general. So we um, pay way less, um, or we like to spend way less than, like for example, Italy or France. Um, and we have definitely different um, status symbols. Like you know, the Germans have the cars and the Technik and like all of these crafts but we, we food is not mm. one of these and and I think we also lost touch and that's not a German thing that's like a worldwide thing but we lost really the touch to and the relationship to our food um, and so that's what we always say like as soon as you get in touch with the people who make the food and that's what, what happened to us and that's kind of like the goal how we want to put forward also better agriculture for example like to support with the choices you make in a restaurant to support better agriculture because as soon as you look for good food and good is also maybe something that you know everyone defines of course, yeah. but um, as soon as you look for it you then go out you leave your comfort zone and the city you go to the people who produce it you talk to them and you immediately are talking about their ways of living You immediately talk about nature and climate aspects. You talk about the, the value of food, not only like the craft that's behind it, which is one huge topic that is so important for us, but also like the value that you actually give in like monetary, mm. uh, monetary um, value. And um, I think that changes a lot. Mm. And as soon as you... And the, I think the food system is... A lot of people try right now to find one solution because that's super easy. So we try to, you know, like we need to stop food waste. So, and that's going to be the solution or we need to become vegans and that's going to solve everything. But also looking back at my education, I really learned that the food system is so, so complex. So we cannot, like there's not one answer. Um, so we need also complex solutions. And you, but first, before you do that, you need to understand what it is. Um, and so that's why I think this relationship and understanding each other, what we try to um, foster and bring forward also yeah. at the symposium is so important mm. because that's the first step that you need. Yeah. Obviously what you're doing is super important and those are all um, crucial issues for the future of basically everything because we all eat all the time and yeah. so like everything, like we bite into something, it's part of like a political act or yeah. probably a statement. Still, um, let's stay in Berlin. Can you estimate the percentage of restaurant owners who think about those topics? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to estimate a percentage, but I think it's very, 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 very small because we gastronomy also is not just one network and one bubble. There's like smaller bubbles. So there's like the fine dining bubble and then there's the, I don't know, like the Turkish community bubble and then there's the Vietnamese community bubble and then there's... Uh, 
the the wine bar bubbles you know like there's so many different categories um and i think it is a very very small percentage but i think more and more people become aware and are interested in it um from a marketing standpoint maybe also right now by now um because it sells well and people and guests who come expect you to know like what kind of milk are you using like are you are you using organic eggs even in just like the smallest cafe um but also i think people and people do want to have that relationship with food and i think we i think food is so easy to connect over and it's it, it's so it it creates an identity as well i think people are looking for that because it's a very um especially in a big city it's you need those things that you can mm. grasp on too yeah I mean, you 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 kind of talk a lot about emotions when it comes to yeah. food and i think it's very important um still i think like people like you and me who come from a certain background in terms of education family blah 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 um, when we talk about emotions with food we, we kind of talk about the same thing yeah. so when when i think of like people who come from a different background i think about someone who's like back from a workout or back from work doesn't have too much money no time and he really loves to get this juicy burger from a big fast food chain and that's a very emotional moment for for him too mm -hmm. um do you think anything of what you are working on uh has the potential to become let's say something like a mass movement I think it is already becoming a mass movement. Um, I don't think that everyone all the time has to eat the best and um, like best in the sense of like the most uh, climate conscious and, and, and I don't know, like the, the healthiest food all the time. I love to eat trash food sometimes. Like I do it as well, but I think we need to create a bigger demand in the city and that's why projects for example like the Kantine Zukunft um, which is a project now um, that wants to um, change like public schools and public hospitals and, and change all those kitchens there to um, have first of all more organic but also they're trying to also source regionally and seasonally um, and I think it's just it, it's it's about creating a demand and creating creating the access so you can make a choice to have to maybe make the better choice and once in a while if you make the bad choice that's totally fine but if we also when i was talking about like milk at a cafe like if a cafe it's totally fine if you cannot um just completely change your whole um, um sourcing because it's also maybe too expensive and, and you the guests will never pay like i don't know so and so much for a sandwich but if you just change for example eggs or milk um, you have a huge impact and you imagine how much milk you use in a cafe per year per, per day and mm. um, so if you change just little things that have an impact um, on the people who produce your food um, and have an impact on the environment then I think that's great mm. um, 
do, do you think like that the average customer, let's say you mentioned you worked in service before, now you sometimes work shifts at Nobelat mm -hmm. und Schmutzig. Do you think that the average customer who goes to the place where, where you worked or still work um, is more conscious about those topics? Yeah, for sure. And that's why these things... And I think that's why gastronomy is important because you do, you are multipliers, you are role models. So everything that we have on the plates now in like, you know, really easygoing cafes or whatever, you can often see a lot of things in fine dining before. So like all of the kimchi stuff, all of the fermented things, um, when did that start? Like I can't even... A while ago. I can't remember a temple exactly. of kimchi. I mean, we, <laughs> um, we had sauerkraut. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> exactly. But, um, so, you know, like, we do have a triple-down effect. And I think that's exactly the, the importance that gastronomy has. Of course, um, when you have a certain price, also, you only reach a certain guest. But we have a voice. We have um, definitely also people that we teach how to become chefs so they will open new restaurants as well um, and there's also chefs that for example work in yeah canteens public public schools that are working in um, things that have a way um, bigger turnover per day and so I think it's very important that we talk to everyone um, about it and I think I honestly really believe that a, a public school chef is also happier with cooking fresh ingredients than to just open a bag of yeah. something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you also value that job that way more, right? Yeah. Um, How big is the momentum in Berlin's gastronomy regarding these topics right now? So I would say like maybe 10 years ago we had like the first big wave of like a huge sea change in Berlin's gastronomy like finally there were like really good restaurants then right now there is all like this shareable plate natural wine stuff happening but also like underneath there is this layer of people who do gastronomy like with a new attitude um, how they treat their staff how they engage with their producers blah 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 um, How big is this momentum from your point of view and how sustainable is this? Because people also move on maybe to other cities and then we are maybe lost. I think it's... I think Berlin has so much potential. I think we're not there yet to call, call ourselves like the culinary destination or something. But that's exactly... I think that's what we can be. We have great producers also outside. We have great chefs. And it's definitely also this exactly this mixture because people are coming to Berlin from different nations and different countries. Um, and I think, look, like I've just been to New York and I've seen how hard it is for people in gastronomy to really start something new. And I think Berlin, you can still afford to do that. Um, so I think that's a big plus because you can still be creative with little. Um, but I think, yeah, I think we can, I think there's definitely some air, but we're on a good way. Um, and I'm honestly really excited about the future of Berlin because I think it can, like, it's going to be great. And I hope that we're not going to end up like in New York where there's only like really polished or polished like fancy restaurants where you really know okay there's not really someone behind it but there's like just money behind it and it just wants to make money and that's what I love about Berlin like it's so personal almost 
like in almost every restaurant you know that there's a person behind it that maybe opened it because it's their dream or it's their vision or, or whatnot so I think that's very special and I hope that with like rents rising and all of those like outside things that are happening and that that might um, be a hurdle for that I hope that we're still keeping this this identity and um, I think Berlin can find his own identity How would you describe like the Berlin food scene like in with one or two words or maybe because I always I just out of curiosity I always struggle because I always think Berlin is like so far behind all those international trends yeah. and it has like his Berlin way of doing things and there is I would say there is nothing that was really like born here like it took some parts well, from the here and there. Well, the goodness and service was definitely born Absolutely. here. Absolutely. And I think that's definitely one <laughs> characteristic that I would like every time I leave Berlin and yeah. go to another restaurant I'm just like why is everyone so nice? Like, I, do they want to tip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but but why is that? Why and, and still even with the younger generation, of course, there are a lot of restaurants with great service right now. But still, you witness exactly of what you just described. Even like let's say people who originally come from countries where they know about service try to behave like assholes once they started working in a restaurant in Berlin. Yes, um, I think it's definitely. I think it's a few different things. I think it's sometimes you get it and I think like, oh, you just pretend to be really cool and you don't want to really serve me. Often, I just think that it's really, really difficult to get good staff and to have staff that you keep for that long, especially in service, because now chefs are becoming cool. So people are becoming chefs and like, it's still hard, but I think there's, definitely it's a harder time for service to um, have trained staff um, because it's not, you know, like it's not attractive. So you stay longer than the kitchen um, in the evening, you, you get poor salary and you really need to want to do this. And often you also have to deal with like rude, rude guests, you know, like um, you really have to have a passion for it and you really have to decide to do it. And often I feel like it's just, really difficult for owners to find staff that stays with you, um, find staff that is interested and that wants to do exactly that job and that you you can also train. Um, so I think that's a big problem um, and there's no big incentive like in the US where you have to be really, really kind because that's what you rely on as like a salary which is not that I would want that but um, so I think there's like different reasons for it and um, I don't think it will change in like a lot of places but in the places that really want to become something and really want to stay and be also good for international guests and that want to have the best food I think it's necessarily it's necessary that you also think about service because that's for me is one of the biggest parts of an experience Absolutely. like I don't care about the food if I had a horrible experience it just drives me nuts like I I, I also don't have a tolerance for it anymore yeah. because it's not that hard and if you don't want to be here then, then don't do this you know yeah, like, absolutely um, um, I mean, we talked a lot about politics now, but since this is actually the Staffman podcast, and since we are now talking about staff, and 
how it is possible to uh, create relationships and with your staff. Uh, you mentioned that you have the privilege to eat staff um, food at Nobelat and Schmutzig because this is where you're actually located to do the work for the Gemeinschaft. Tell me a little bit about the ritual for staff meal at Nobelat and Schmutzig or maybe there isn't even a ritual but I'm just curious to share what's going on there. Oh, there's definitely a ritual. Um... And you know, I'm not I'm not a chef, so I, I, I don't have a lot of experience with staff meals. So for this a lot for me was like normal. And when I talked to my colleagues that are in the kitchen then, they often told me like sometimes we didn't we first of all we had horrible uh, staff meal or we didn't even have like a break. Um so I realized that maybe actually we have a really nice staff meal. <laughs> um so we sit down every day. Um, at the same time, everyone does a service and kitchen, um, takes the break before service starts, and we all eat together. Um, we mostly use, um, I don't know how much, but I think mostly everything comes also from the produce that we use from, from what we get from for the normal service. So also like when we have cut-ups or something, they make something out of it for staff meal. Um, only like sometimes if we do something special like we did some kebabs you know like with nice meat and like then we for example get some uh, flatbread from the Turkish bakery um, um, or like you know or like coriander or something like that um, that's exceptions but I think it's very very good quality of, of food and um, I really really appreciate that it's important that we have good and healthy food there's often a salad that comes with it but um I think the chefs are rotating, so um, they, they, yeah, they also like really mix up what we what we get. Um, so I really really appreciate it because I think it it you can also see if we had a good staff meal that people are happy and like it's often also very satisfying food. Like we have a lot of guys in the kitchen, so like you you know like having a, a like a service ahead, um, you also need to to be strong and like um, not be hungry obviously um, and Do you yeah it's also good for like you also value your staff right if you don't give if you have like the best produce in, in, in for your guests um, but then your your staff gets like really unhealthy bad cheap food um, what does that say about you as a as a yeah as a restaurant or, or as a boss as well And on Saturdays, which is my favorite day, we have um, dessert Saturday. Yeah, okay. So we get a dessert on Saturday, and that's obviously the best thing. I'm a very sweet tooth, so that's that makes me happy. That's funny. I know that at Barra, who have been at the podcast as well, they have like dessert Monday because I, that's their last um, day of their work week. Yeah. So it's apparently a thing. Um, Tell me a little bit about the mood during staff meal. Is it like everyone is like super calm and focused and try to gather energy for a long service, or is it maybe funky and loud? Or do you even talk about like um, business-related things, like to talk about reservations and what's going on? Um, so yes, we we take this break at the end of the break. Um, it's six o'clock. Um, Then I'm also making coffee. Actually, I forgot to say that. But I'm, um, I or one of one of the team is making also coffee for everyone before the service, which I also love as a tradition because that's where I'm leaving. So I love making the coffee as like a ritual before I leave, and it's also for me coming back to the first question. Like I love, you know, like they always cook for me. They do all of these amazing things, and like I can 
get a snack also once in a while during the day. So I, that's like for me, okay, I do one thing for you guys, you know, like making the coffee, which is great. Um, but so before the service, um, at six o'clock sharp, they do their like staff service um, talk. So they talk about who's coming in, um, about allergies, um, about all the important things that they need to know um, for the service. Um, and before that, it's really, it's, it's actually really calm. Like everyone is trying to get their, you know, like just to focus on the service, but it's also, so sometimes people are like, it also depends on the day. Sometimes people are like really calm. Sometimes we just chat and, and talk about different things that happened. Um, sometimes when there's something coming up, we use also the time to discuss things that regard the team. Um, sometimes Billy or Micha also say something about the last service, like what we can improve, um, what we need to change, some feedback from the guests, so stuff like that. And that for me is really, really interesting because I'm never there for the service, more or less. Like, I, as I said, sometimes I'm, I'm coming in, but um, for me it's really interesting and also important for me to understand their life and their work habits and what is important for them and um, yeah. You mentioned and I think it's obvious how intense it is to work in service uh, in the gastronomy industry. Um, it's like it's physically demanding. It's like long hours, and maybe that's also a reason why there is this lack of good staff. How would you convince someone to? move on and create and, or build a career um, in service? What, what, what is, I don't think you can there? convince anyone to do that. It needs to be like, okay, this is what I want to do. I think you can give incentives and I think that needs to happen now because we have, as I said, like as we talked about, there's few people that are, that are really choosing this as a career. Um, and I think you in order for your staff to be happy and that's not just in service I think that's everywhere um, you as a boss you also gain um, advantages when your staff is happy and so I think you need to try to yeah be be a good boss and also change that way that normally gastronomy works so I think we need to really look outside of what the normal working day is, what the normal normal tasks are. I think we um, need to also create an environment where you can educate yourself as a service staff because I think that's one of the reasons like at one point you stop because you don't learn anything anymore and you also maybe switch actually just the restaurant because you don't learn anything and you need to have it on your CV or something. So how... like educate your staff within the time that they're there, make them choose themselves what they can do. Um, maybe they can, you know, also go to a, to, I don't know, to a bakery and like learn making bread for a few, uh, few days uh, in between, or like they can, you know, improve themselves in any other ways. Um, and also I think we really need to think about like what is also beneficial for, of course you always need to look at financial, the financial things but like is like a day where you get up in the morning do the first um 
the first service and then have one hour in between and then you do the evening service is that really does that make sense like can you create other ways of doing that can you include your staff also in making decisions with that can you you know like there's so many things that we can change but I think it just hasn't hit gastronomy yet like I worked before in the startup where we talked so much about new work um, and we talked so much about this like whole work-life balance and um, I don't even want to start about like women in service who want to get children like how, how the hell do you want to do this uh, but so like there's so many things I just think that people need to start thinking about it and there's few examples that already do a good job with it or that that are trying to change things and I think it's really hard but I think as soon as we have it on our minds um, I think slowly slowly we will change something but uh, it's a long way as well can you point out to those examples who who make an effort regarding this you don't have to <laughs> it's really hard because I'm looking also for them right now for the symposium I want to show people that it's yeah. that it's possible but it's I mean it's I'm, I need to do some research myself I But, the, but that's actually a topic that you want to tackle with yeah. the Gemeinschaft, like yeah. also the, the entire staff and quality and education thing. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. I think it's one of the most important things we always talk about climate. I think that's one of the things that where also maybe my like different point of view comes in because we always talk about climate and we always talk about like the produce and we always talk about um, the taste and the quality but we never talk about the people that are behind it and we never talk about um, yeah this whole you know when you talk about sustainability you always talk about economics and ecological things but the third thing are the people and like if you want to be sustainable as a restaurant you need to think about staff um, and yeah I can't point anyone out I think Billy already does like a pretty good job with thinking of being a little bit different and doing things a little bit different. So for example, also just having like two different prices, mm. um, you know, during the week and at the weekend. Um, That's regarding like the set menu. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. a lower it's price just, yeah, during exactly. the week. And, yeah. um, but I cannot point one person out that is like a pioneer mm. in working with the staff differently yeah. and having a different But, but I think it's a good start like to, to take it as like a major topic for the next symposium because yeah, yeah, that's, sure. that's actually interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe one last thing. So you mentioned yeah, you, you love to serve people, you love um, to cook for people and make them a good time. What happens if you like have a dinner party at your home? So we talked about politics at the Gemeinschaft, we yeah. talked about Nobelhart und Schmutzig. Um, what happens in your kitchen? Um, well, me and my flatmate, um, we started doing pasta Sundays. So I, I knew that there is something I wasn't aware of. We're that. making pasta, <laughs> um, and we well, we have a small kitchen right now, so you can't invite more than like five people. But we would love to invite more, um, and. Actually, we're like really good together because she's better at cooking than I am, and I'm really good at like hosting. Eating? Okay. Um, so we do like a we're we're actually making a pretty good we're making pretty good dinner parties. I have to say, like I think we're really on point. Um, and there's definitely some wines. Um, 
we love to like buy of course really good produce and and just also not just invite people and then start eating but just invite people and then like and cook while they're already there um and i am and i have to say my flatmate is also sometimes very annoyed by it but like i love to just combine people that i invite and i don't do it on purpose i just like forget that i'm not and then I'm supposed to meet up with someone and then, you know, like, I'm like, oh, damn it, I forgot. So can we just invite him too or her? Like, can they just come? And then it, it creates these, like, random combinations of people um, that are maybe from my past job or, like, from completely different areas. And I just really, really love doing that. Um, so it's kind of like what I'm doing at my job again at my home table. Um, but, yeah, I think it's... I don't know. I also love to have like long dinners that definitely desserts, you know, and uh, lots of wine and maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but that's where it gets fun and where people also open up a little bit more. And um, that's a very yeah. German thing to say. Just yeah. just give them lots of wine, and <laughs> at some point they will start to be funny. Yeah. Um, how when the Those dinner parties pretty much sound like um, the dinner parties that I'm happy to share with, with my friends and my community. And it's a major part of our lives. Um, how important do you, do you think is it to have this way of dealing with food um, regarding the professional aspect of it? Like, is it important like for people to cook at home and gather people to have like more awareness when they go to a restaurant? Um, I mean, I just feel that, you know, like I have some, luckily also some friends now that have nothing to do with food. And I also like it because I need to get out of that bubble sometimes. Um, but, you know, then I hear them say like, oh, when you go to Frida's, like you get always such good food and it's amazing. And like, they don't do anything with it and it just tastes good. And that's exactly where I'm like, yeah, you don't need to do anything with it and it just tastes good. That's because you buy really great products, you know, and then and then you are at this table and they are getting excited and I'm getting excited talking about those produce. So then I'm telling them like, oh my God, I got this cheese from this cheese maker and, you know, it's amazing and he's so cool and he's like maybe even young and he took over, you know, like, and then there's this whole story and I'm getting really upset, not upset, excited about it. And that just goes over to that other person and then I think it's really easy to make people understand and be aware first with someone that is delicious and is like that goes over flavor and that where this thinking process also works over um, having fun and having a positive experience with mm -hmm. things um, so I think it is it is definitely important that we cook more again I think it's I think it's utopic to, to utopian or whatever to say that we will all cook at home. I think it's that will not happen with our lifestyles, but um, if you can, if you have fun, I think you should do it. Um, yeah, absolutely. More <laughs> for sure. Uh, And also, like cooking, yeah. cooking with little kids is so funny. Just like speaking of pasta, like. To see how they freak out when you like you have two eggs uh, and some flour and like an hour later they, they have tagliatelle and yeah, they, yeah. it's just like amazing for them. You mentioned this bubble. Um, it's interesting because 
I very often also talk about my bubble when it comes to food mm -hmm. and also my friends do. Um, I'm totally aware of what we mean by that. Like yeah. It's like us nerdy people who care about produce and know about like the the interesting shit. Um, but at the same time, I sometimes think maybe it's also a start to stop talking that we are inside the bubble um, because this kind of makes us bubbly in a way yeah. of like separate us from other, other people. And we kind of have like to whatever, give whatever we have inside this bubble um, in a good way to, to the people yeah. who are like right now not as close to these um, food-related things that we are about. Exactly, and maybe who are not, you know, used to hosting dinner parties. I don't think you need to do that if you're, if you don't have the time and don't have the knowledge. But I think, yeah, exactly like you say, maybe we as, as the people who have the knowledge and have also the access to good food and, you know, like not everyone knows where to get like really good produce or whatever um, or can't also maybe not necessarily afford it because they have to pay it for other things um, yeah maybe we can be like a little bit of a catalyst or like um, a platform for that as well and yeah as I said I think that what gastronomy should be as well and that's why it is important that those produce that are grown or, or um, yeah grown in a way that is not harmful for the environment or the people that create it um, are everywhere and not just in the in this bubble but are also like imagine all the kebab places had like i don't know salad from from the area or like just one or two things you know like yeah. i think it's very so great yeah exactly that is kind of my dream for berlin like the kebab places to have like just you can make like the seasonal food, next year's imposter could be all about yeah. like changing the kebab industry yeah um Maybe one last question. I already said last question, and maybe we don't send it if uh, it's a very sensitive question. But you know this moment, you are invited at a friend's place for dinner, and you know they have the education and the time and the money, like theoretically, to do it the right way. And then you sit down at the table, and you see the food, and it's definitely not the kind of food you want to eat. It's mm -hmm. like conventional wines, um, industrial-produced meats, um, I myself always eat it uh, yeah. and smile yeah. because maybe I'm a coward. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm always like struggling. How can we change the big picture when we are not even willing to speak up in front of our friends and say, look, that's really delicious. But what the fuck? Do you have a strategy to deal with that? Um, yeah, I think as I said a little bit, I'm trying to not... I'm trying to not raise my finger and be like, oh my God, why did you buy that? I'm trying to rather give them better examples. So I try, sometimes like I catch myself bringing something to the, to the dinner to just show them, look, this is an amazing mozzarella. And now, you know, like I'm not even saying this, but like just next to the shitty mozzarella, you know, like. But that's sneaky. <laughs> I know exactly which one will be done the first, right? Like, and. Yeah, I think it's important that we do this over like pleasure and positive positivity um, and not judge people. And it's really hard. It is difficult sometimes for sure. Um, but I think it's it's not helpful. Um, 
And honestly, if I'm getting invited by someone who never cooks and buys shitty produce, then I'm already happy that they're take, doing a dinner party and inviting me right, yeah. because that means that they somehow think about it or made a decision and think that food is someone something that you connect over and, and they, they make an effort also for you, right? So I just try it and, and also in these, in these dinner settings, I also like to maybe once in a while not talk about food. Because I'm also, you know, like then you often go back to the topics of, oh, but why are you not vegan? Or you go to the topics of, yeah, things that I'm not necessarily interested in or that I talk anyways all day about. So sometimes, and I think that's also the very important part for myself is that when I go to those dinner parties where I know that people have nothing to do with food, I try to pick their brains as much as I can. So I really try to understand what they work with why that's important why they get so mostly so much money for it um and how can i apply this to the food world why is this important also for me and how what can i take from them um yeah so so much responsibility for all of us yeah not too bad that was a very exciting conversation thanks so much for your time thanks for having me and um have fun with your italian dinner thank you <laughs> Yeah, that was my conversation with Frida Gettke. I hope it was as exciting for you as it was for me. Um, I really liked how the conversation evolved from, yeah, very serious issues to the question how you behave the best uh, at your friend's dinner table. Um, please follow Stephanie Podcast on Instagram at Stephanie Podcast. Also, please feel free to drop me a line if there's anything you want to improve with this podcast. If you have any feedback, anything of that is highly appreciated because this is still a new project. Um, and so far, if you haven't listened to the first four episodes of Stephanie Podcast, you can find them on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify and that's it for now you are listening to staff meal the world's first podcast about staff meals 